I'm Ty Wyckoff, and this is the Millennial's Guide to This Historic Moment. did not create most of the conditions and the convictions which have led us to this day. But this generation has a responsibility to resolve them. We are officially eight weeks out from Election Day. If things haven't been exciting enough for you yet, well, let me promise you, in the words of Kimberly Guilfoyle, The best is yet to come! I hope you'll forgive me any audio errors. It has been a bad technology week for me, and that has only been amplified by the fact that so much has happened in the last 24 hours alone. So this episode is going to be a little different than usual, a little bit less history today, and a little bit more ranting, because both technology and Donald Trump have me in a bit of a foul mood. But enough of my bad week, let's talk about the president's, because his was a whole lot worse. The conventions are finished, the numbers are in, and I think we may have some answers to questions I raised in the last episodes. In the last two episodes, we talked about the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. I said in those episodes that I did not expect either convention to move the needle of the election by much. And the latest numbers out seem to be confirming that, at least so far. Biden did gain a little bit of a bounce post-Democratic convention, as candidates typically do, where he was leading Trump by around nine points. But on this side of things, post-Republican convention, that margin is back to pre-convention numbers, where Biden is leading at about seven and a half points. In other words, the race has not changed much. The new data may also give us a little bit of insight into another question we asked on the Republican convention episode. In that episode, I talked about how Trump is relying on Nixon's 1968 campaign messaging of law and order, i.e. he is going to be the candidate who upholds law and restores order and protects you from the violent thugs and criminals who are destroying suburbia and so on and so on. It worked great for Nixon, it's worked great for several Republicans, but as I said in the last episode, Suburbia of 2020 is just different than suburbia of 1968. It's far more diverse, and I'm not so sure that it's going to work. Now, with everything that has happened in Kenosha, I would imagine that if law and order messaging was going to work, that would have been the time. It did not move the needle. Now, it didn't hurt him either, but it doesn't look like he's getting any significant mileage off of it. With Kenosha, there's a lot to unpack, and I want to be able to spend more time on it and give more of a portion of an episode to it, so we won't be going into that today. But if you have any questions about what happened, email me at thishistoricmoment at gmail.com, and that way I can prepare better for an episode and direct it more to what you all want to hear. Earlier this week, 50% of Americans polled said that Donald Trump as president makes them feel less safe, while only 35% said that Donald Trump as president made them feel safer. Now, that's an important number, 
But that 35% is consistent with Donald Trump's base voters. So if law and order messaging is working with anyone, it's Donald Trump's base. And I think that's useless. I don't think Donald Trump's base voters are going to be bailing on him anytime soon. So if I were the Trump campaign, I would try to find messaging that actually resonates with the voters that he needs. Which brings us to another number about the voters that Donald Trump needs. The voters that I cannot shut up about, and that is, of course, suburban voters. And they seem to be speaking volumes in the ever-critical swing state of Pennsylvania, at least, where Joe Biden is leading Donald Trump by five points overall, largely due to the suburbs, where he is leading Donald Trump by 28 points. And in the suburbs around Philadelphia, he is leading by 62 points. If we are looking at Wisconsin, another important swing state and particularly important for this conversation about law and order messaging as it is the home of the city of Kenosha, Joe Biden's numbers actually went up. And even though it was the tiniest boost of 0.1, it means that Biden is leading Donald Trump in the state by 7 points. So my verdict as of now is that law and order is not working. Again, things can change, they always can, but this is the time to be paying attention the most because we are only eight weeks out. Now these numbers are bad news for the president, but they come to us during what has been overall just a really bad week for Donald Trump. On Wednesday, CNN reported excerpts of journalist Bob Woodward's new book, Rage, out next week. It's Woodward's second book on the current White House. His first, Fear, was published a few years ago. Both are based on extensive interviews and investigative reporting from within the White House. Donald Trump, of course, was not pleased with the first book, whining about how Woodward didn't interview him to get his side of things. So, Woodward decided for a round two, interviewing the president through major events such as the COVID-19 pandemic, and Donald Trump agreed to the interviews being recorded. Now, if you're Donald Trump, the biggest lesson about yourself you should have learned by now is that it is a mistake to go on the record when, well, all the time, it's a bad idea to go on the record for Donald Trump. CNN released portions of the tape, which include an interview on February 7th, where Donald Trump tells Woodward how serious and deadly he understands the virus to be. We all, of course, don't remember that messaging in February, but Donald Trump clarified for Woodward in that interview that he was intentionally downplaying the severity of the virus. Now, to Trump's credit, he said he was downplaying it so people wouldn't panic, and that's fair to some degree. However, we know that while there was a brief moment of reluctance to go with what the experts were saying in March, that quickly changed by the end of the month, and here we are in September nearing 200,000 deaths. Now, there is a lot more to all of this, but it is still developing as I record this episode, but I promise we will return to it. Another event that is sure to send Trump screaming into the Twitterverse on the same day is that another whistleblower has come forward with allegations that the Department of Homeland Security altered intelligence regarding Russian interference into the election to match Donald Trump's public statements about it. Now, I'm going to return to that in just a moment at a different angle, but again, this is brand new and developing, so we will be able to look at it more closely in a later episode. 
But now let's turn to what kicked off Donald Trump's really awful week. The Atlantic's Jeffrey Goldberg published a piece over the weekend that describes Donald Trump's contempt for veterans who died in war. According to Goldberg's sources, Donald Trump said real gems like, quote, we're not going to support that loser's funeral, and angry that the flags were at half-mass, said, quote, what the f*** are we doing that for? Guy was a f***ing loser. These were said, of course, in reference to the late Senator John McCain, himself a veteran who served in Vietnam and who was also a prisoner of war. And of course, there was also the president going after World War II veteran, Navy pilot, and former president, who also passed away in recent years, George H. Bush, whom Trump allegedly also referred to as a, quote, loser, for being shot down by the Japanese. The report also cites sources saying that Trump is genuinely confused about military service or why anyone would go into the military, and he's also frustrated because he doesn't understand why the military is not available to him to use for whatever whim or impulse he wants to use it for. You of course remember Donald Trump threatening to deploy the US military on its own citizens earlier this summer, and his seemingly embedded belief that he is the sole and final arbiter of power in this country. The response by the Trump administration was desperately fast. Of course, the tactic here is, as it always is, deny, deny, deny. And of course, Representative Matt Gates, one of Donald Trump's foremost defenders, as you might recall from the last episode, tweeted a robust, strong, well-put-together, coherent defense of the president, saying, quote, The Atlantic is fake news. They make things up. Which is great, really, because when I read The Atlantic is Fake News, my first thought was, wait a second, what is fake news? So the follow-up, they make things up, was pretty helpful. I mean, I had a question and he had an answer. So, I mean, are they even trying anymore? But that's what I expect them to keep doing until hopefully for them this disappears. Donald Trump has lost news cycle after news cycle after news cycle. This is not the story the Trump campaign needed right now. And we can tell that by how both campaigns jumped on this, by how quickly they both responded, it seemed like an important issue to both campaigns. So I'll be interested to see what numbers do come of this, but really right now I just don't really have an idea at this point of how this changes things. But my initial thoughts on this is that it almost feels like an October surprise which are crazy news stories that drop typically in October, closer to the election, and the idea is that these surprises shake up the race in some way. Uh, We could think of 2016 when WikiLeaks dropped the hacked DNC emails, the Hollywood Access tape leak, of course, or when then-FBI director James Comey reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton just days before the election. October surprises have much more sway with undecided voters. But what I would say of October surprises for 2020 and this story, which sort of feels like one of those surprises, at this point, there is only about 10% of the electorate that is undecided. Now, of course, 10% is enough to swing the election one way or the other. And I'm working on an article right now that dives deeper into that. And I will let you know when I'm able to get that up on my Medium page. But for this story in particular, I don't know that it moves much. But I do want to speak to the story itself. Because here's the thing. Whether you believe these incidences or not doesn't make them unbelievable. This is entirely consistent with Donald Trump's character, particularly on this subject. 
He's not a war He's hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. Five and a half years. He's a, a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. That was Donald Trump in 2016 when he publicly made these comments about the late Senator John McCain. In 2017, four U.S. Special Forces troops were killed in an ambush in Niger. Myesha Johnson, Sergeant LaDavid Johnson's widow, spoke to ABC's George Stephanopoulos about a phone call that she received from the president at that time. What he said was... The president. Yes, the president said that he knew what he signed up for, but it hurts anyways. And I was... It made me cry because I was very angry at the, the tone of his voice and how he said it. Like he, he, he couldn't remember my husband's name. When Iran retaliated for the U.S. assassination of Soleimani, over 100 U.S. troops suffered from traumatic brain injury. Question on Iran. Initially, you said repeatedly to Americans um, that after Iran retaliated for the Soleimani strike, no Americans were injured. We now know at least 11 U.S. servicemen were airlifted from Iraq. Can you explain the discrepancy? No, uh, I heard that they had headaches and a couple of other things, but I would say, uh, and I can report, it is not very serious. So you don't not consider very serious. potential traumatic brain injury serious? Uh, they told me about it numerous days later. You'd have to ask Department of Defense. No, I don't consider them very serious injuries relative to other injuries that I've seen. Trump has disparaged and attack retired Admiral William McRaven and former General James Mattis. It's not surprising that Donald Trump would say these things about veterans, and it's certainly not surprising that he would say these things about John McCain, even post-mortem. But beneath all of this lies something darker, and it's something we need to address. On June 26, the New York Times published a story about U.S. intelligence suspecting alleged bounties put out for U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan by the Kremlin, or the Russian government. The reports describe Russian intelligence officials paying members of the Taliban for targeted assassinations of U.S. troops. The report also claimed that the president was briefed on the intelligence. The next day after the report was released, the White House denied it, with Press Secretary Kayleigh McKenney claiming that neither the president nor the vice president had ever been briefed on the intelligence. The president also denied it on Twitter, of course. Now, there are disputes about the reliability of the intelligence. But we need to be clear about what those disputes are. The CIA is confident in its human intelligent resources that the Kremlin is paying the Taliban for specific, targeted attacks on members of the U.S. military. That's why we would call it a bounty. The NSA, however, which uses different methods of gathering intelligence, isn't so confident about that conclusion. And there seems to be some doubt on their end as to whether or not this was about specific payments for targeted attacks, or, and this part needs to be clear, the payments are just more of general funding for the Taliban and its operations that result in U.S. casualties. What's not in doubt is that the Kremlin is funding the Taliban. Look, neither are good. And if the president cannot be clear and public about denouncing the Kremlin's actions, then that's really all we need to know. Because it's too easy. It's easy to say that there's no definitive proof of this situation or Donald Trump calling veterans who have died in war losers and suckers. It's easy to do that until it's your friend, your sibling, your parent, your kid, or your spouse that he's talking about. That it's their safety that he's turning a blind eye to. 
Because the real problem here is that we know that this information was in the presidential daily brief back in February. Now, the presidential daily brief is a one-page top line of items that the intelligence community has decided that are things the president needs to know in order to make the best decisions to keep the country safe. Now, the president, of course, says he didn't see it, he didn't reach his desk, or he had all these other things to worry about, etc., etc., so on and so on. Again, believe what you will. But this is consistent with the president's behavior that we have seen over the last four years. Time and time again, the moment the Kremlin acts in bad faith against the interests of the U.S., Donald Trump either ignores it, trivializes it, or defends it. He constantly attacked the intelligence communities when they confirmed that Russia had interfered in the 2016 election, and he constantly delegitimizes the intelligence community publicly anytime we find out about something like this. But all of that aside, we are still left with two possibilities. Donald Trump either read it, knew about it, and did nothing, or he didn't read it. The brief he is supposed to read every single day. So, which is worse? My answer to that question is that it doesn't matter. Because either it means he is, at best, unfit for the job, or at worst, is deferential to a hostile foreign nation against the interests of the United States, even when it means putting soldiers' lives at risk or turning away when they are killed. But look, even if we give him the benefit of the doubt on all of that, there is one thing we are certain of. It's been widely reported that the U.S. has intelligence indicating that Russia paid bounties or offered to pay bounties to Taliban fighters to kill American right. soldiers. Right. You had a phone call with Vladimir Putin on July 23rd. Did you bring up this issue? No, that was a phone call to discuss other things. And frankly, uh, that's an issue that uh, many people said was uh, fake news. Uh, it never reached my okay. desk. You know why? Because they didn't think it was intelligence. They didn't think it was real. It was they in your written think, brief, though. They it. didn't think it was worthy of I wouldn't mind. If it reached my desk, I would have done something about it. It never reached my desk because... Do you read your written brief? I do. do I read you? a lot. Really? You know, I read a lot. They like to say I don't read. I read a lot. Uh, your, I, your daily I comprehend extraordinarily well. Uh, probably better than anybody that you've interviewed in a long time. Uh, I read a lot. I spend a lot of time with... Uh, at meetings, uh, usually it's once a day or uh, at least two or three times a week before me, and then ultimately I made a change. But you surely heard that, right? I mean, it's well known in the intelligence um, community that they're arming the Taliban, Russia. Uh, I don't know. When you say arming, is supplying the Taliban weapons. paying or are they giving Russia them? is supplying weapons uh, and money to the Taliban. I have heard that, but it's never, re again, it's never reached my desk. Donald Trump knows about it now. And he has, at the very minimum, known about it since it went public in late June. And yet... And you've never discussed it with him? I have never discussed it with him, no. He's done nothing.
did not create most of the conditions and the convictions which have led us to this day, but this generation has a responsibility to resolve them.